0: Bringing an end to two ag-related lawsuits? That's the hot topic this week as Bear announced major settlements, and there are many moving parts to discuss. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week's podcast is a little different, with Mindy Ward, editor of Missouri Ruralist, interviewing me regarding those settlements announced by Bear Wednesday, June 24th. The company announcement includes news of a payout of up to $10.9 billion over glyphosate cases and $400 million for dicamba drift cases. We dig into some of the key features of those settlements and also discuss what these kinds of cases may mean for the future of ag tech. It is a different kind of episode, but give it a listen. Well, Mindy, it's uh, good to catch up with you in Missouri. And maybe before we start, I should just ask you, like I do every editor I talk to on Around Farm Progress, how is the weather?
1: actually very mild uh it's pretty sunny getting a lot of good um heat units but um it's not been as sultry and um the humidity level has been lower so that's a really good thing but uh, a lot of the guys are seeing a lot of growth in their corn and beans that are coming up now so uh, weather's been pretty good our place could use a little bit of rain we got some cracks in our fields we could use some rain a shot would be nice
0: (laughs) i think it's one of those seasons where we're just finally getting some rain up here in minnesota and we've been dry western minnesota still in a drought Uh, what is it a second level drought on the drought monitor i think it's a little better but we're supposed to get rain tonight but i gotta say i was out in a cornfield a couple days ago and we were trying we were looking at some plots to see differences in planting depth and some of that kind of stuff it's a story i'm working on and but the interesting (laughs) thing was we're standing in the field and i'm going guys I can't see enough difference. The conditions are too good. And we really, you really had to look below the canopy to see differences in singulation, spacing, stragglers and all that. But when you looked out across the top of that field, you could just see a little bit of height difference, but it was consistent height difference in those plot areas. So, uh, yeah, this is an interesting season for people who are getting good weather. It's wonderful. If you're in the eastern Corn Belt, they're not talking to me. But we're talking about something a little different today. And uh, that is, of course, news that pretty much unfolded between 12.09 yesterday and the rest of the day. Um, and it's something that, to be honest, uh, uh, and I'll report on this for a moment, our market's been waiting for. I have been with bear officials over the last eight months and some discussions have were already being had about, conversations between plaintiffs and Bayer regarding the Roundup cases after three big losses in the in courts in California, I believe all three of them were in California for sure on Roundup. And then there was the dicamba loss in St. Louis, which we can talk about uh, in a bit. And you've been kind of around some of this as well as we followed these different things. And then finally, yesterday, Bayer announced a settlement and it's a complex settlement for Roundup up to ten point nine billion dollars. To resolve and address potential, even future roundup litigation. They also resolved the Dicamba drift. Uh, cases between 2015 and 2020. We'll discuss that today. Um, and we're going to mention PCBs, but I had one editor email and goes, who, who knew that was still an issue? Uh, so <laughs> that's not really an agriculture <laughs> issue. The PCBs in water was a manufacturing issue for Mo- Legacy Monsanto, and they settled that. It's an $820 million settlement. And all of this is about just clearing the decks. In no version of these settlements does uh, Bear admit any any guilt or any, um, liability in any of this. So that's one thing that should be clear that the settlement does that. The other thing is the three cases in California are not part of the settlement and will go on to appeal. We can discuss that. And the case in the the Bader case on dicamba is also going to appeal and we can discuss why that is also. But I was just curious as somebody who's been around this, what your thoughts are on this whole settlement?
1: I think it caught me a little off guard. You know, I thought they were going to go down a path of that nature. But, you know, I was visiting with them last year, I guess. And we were at their company headquarters and they discussed the concept of never even entertaining the notion of settling these cases because they said it would set a precedent. And they didn't want to go down that slippery slope. One ag chemical company needed to make a stand And because they said, and still science says that there is no proof that glyphosate causes cancer. And I know you were in meetings with Bayer officials. And what I want to know is what turned that ship or what do you think made them change their mind and decide, you know what, we are going to go ahead
0: and settle. I think when you had the conversation a few months ago, it was maybe 50, 60,000 cases and they thought they could pull them together and win one or two and wipe away the class. Mm. By the time we got to this week, it's 125,000 cases. It's massive. And it's a and I have to say in the time I think between you were there and by the time this settlement happened, there was a lot of activist investor pressure on Bear to get something done because. Um, They really need to get about the business of being a crop protection and a biotech and a technology company, not about being um, uh, the greatest source of funding for defense attorneys and the defense bar in the United States and Germany. So I think uh, that's a little bit flippant, but I think that was maybe part of the driver was the stakeholders in this. There was actually a vote of no confidence a year ago by bear shareholders of uh, Herr Herr Baumann, Werner Baumann, who's the head of all bear AG. That changed this year in the stockholder meeting because they did many, they took many steps to take action on all of these cases and basically work, I think, to clear the decks. I I just think that eventually you get worn out on this. And I think that's the beauty of the plaintiff's bar. They can keep banging away. To be honest, there's some talk that this won't end future cases, but it will put the future class cases in a whole different ballpark. And we can talk about that uh, class science panel in a moment, which is a unique tool. But I think that. I think eventually, uh, maybe they, and you know, these guys, they don't collaborate, they don't collude, but they do communicate. And I think that eventually the industry thought, you know, maybe we just wipe this thing off and get it off the decks. It won't be in the news anymore. It'll be over. These constant cases can be a real challenge. And I'm not defending anybody. There are people who feel they've been harmed. The company believes and By the way, to be clear, the company is not only saying this, but so is every major global regulatory and science agency, people you wouldn't think would stand up for some of this science. The World Health Organization, EPA and major regulators in Europe and even in Latin America are saying, look. There's no link to cancer, despite what the IARC, the International Group on, Can- uh, on Cancer, ruled a few years ago that it might be a carcinogen. And I got quotes. I got quotes around might be. They also think coffee might be. So that was part of the challenge. And I think you, when you face an unending wall of something, eventually you have to decide to take a different task. And when I ran into an official three or four months ago uh, at an event, we had this conversation one on one. Uh, I said, so you actually are talking about settlement. And the whole conversation was, yes, if we can find a settlement track that makes sense. And one of the keys on this settlement and underlying all this is, yes, they're going to pay this money and they're going to work out all these details is that they're taking it out of the jury. They're taking it out of the courts. There's a new class science panel that will be reviewing all of the data and all of the research on the relationship any potential relationship between glyphosate and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And basically, Bayer has agreed to go by whatever that panel determines, which is very interesting. So I think they put themselves in a different place, and I think they're setting some precedents that perhaps makes the entire crop protection industry a little more comfortable in if we can find a way to get these off of non-science-focused jurors and get this in a science arena where we can actually be in a situation where we can defend What's going on with these products? Because, you know, basically, a lot of people hear chemical and they think it's a bad thing.
1: And yeah, and I do think part of that and that interesting part of the settlement to me was that class science panel. But I'm telling you, one of the concerns I have on this approach is we've already had scientists from chemical companies, independent researchers, EPA regulators, and they all say glyphosate does not cause cancer. And many of these experts testified in these lawsuits. And so, you know, and like just this past Monday, um, when there was the Missouri Farm Bureau, you know, had one part of their challenge um, with the U.S. District Court in California, ending Mm -hmm. that label requirement on products which contain glyphosate out there in 2017. One of their propositions had it to where products that contain glyphosate had to read known to the state of California to cause cancer. And the judge in that case said the weight of evidence is that glyphosate does not cause cancer. So, again, we have science on our side in the ag industry, but like you've said, we've watched jurors ignore the science and make decisions based on emotion. So do you really think that they're going to throw more scientists at the situation with this panel and that that's going to work?
0: Well, there won't be a jury. They won't be able to argue the case in front of a jury and do the um, bleeding heart arguments that can be made in a crop protection case. Uh, straight up, they're not going to have 12 people sitting in the room and then have some jury trial where uh, plaintiffs bar, and, and they're very good, let's be honest, they're very good at this, shape the argument and bring forth evidence that could appear damning to someone who doesn't know everything about our industry. You, you see, we're a very technical industry, that's part of it. This class science panel will made up be made up of five members, chosen by Bear and the plaintiffs bar. And according to Bill D'Odera, the uh, global global head of litigation at Bayer, according to him, that basically if they can't decide on who it is, Bayer gets to pick two, they get to pick two, and then the four of those experts pick the fifth. Hmm. And then they expect to have a balanced panel to look at this. Now, the other thing to remember is, and I think this is real interesting, all the research they're going to look at will be on a public website. Everyone will be able to see what the class science panel is looking at. There will be nothing behind closed doors in with regard to the documentation they're looking at. Bayer will make available anything that they can publicly. So you and I can see what the class science panel is working on. And they said several years, Liam Condon mentioned uh, he's the uh, Liam is the member of the board of management at Bayer and president of crop science division. He made a comment on the call that this will be about a four year process. He used the word four years when I asked about that. And I think that, uh, That puts a little more of a time frame on this, but you and I can go onto the public website and see what they're looking at. And I think it behooves us to in the next six or seven months to see what they're working with, because I think that's part of this issue. But I think it behooves farmers to, too, if they want to know what this is about, that's what's going to happen. But by doing this, the other side of that settlement, so they're settling 75 percent of the cases, basically 95 percent, 75 percent of the claims. And they figure that they will basically have 95 percent of the cases set for trial taken care of. That's basically what the release says and how they explained it yesterday. But they have these other cases that are still out there. And people who are involved in the cases, while this class science panel is reviewing the science, can get diagnostic support and some other things if they take part in that class. There's going to be money to, to help them. So that's a very interesting part of the settlement, too. The details, uh, like I said, things are moving fast and furious, and it might be worth looking into later about what that all means. But um, the comment was that it behooves people in that remainder in the, those classes, while this is being uh, looked at through the class science panel, to take part. The long and the short of it is there's still probably lawyers holding out with a bunch of cases that are still going to kind of come forward. The judge, the court needs to approve this settlement. Bauman was pretty, uh, Werner Bauman, CEO of Bayer, was pretty confident that this would happen. And not only that, the entire bear leadership team was very confident on the calls yesterday that this class science panel would not find a link. Mm-hmm. And that was fascinating to me. When you're listening on the call, they were confident. But the settlement also says if a link is found, a level will be set. In other words, how much do you have to be exposed? What's the true exposure level? And then the plaintiff would have to prove they hit that exposure level to take part in the class so they're setting some new boundaries and i think that may be why the industry is a little more comfortable with some of this because if this all works out it becomes a pattern for how to adjudicate these for classes when the science is so heavy i'm not sure if that'll be true but when i find in courts when one thing happens it becomes it can become a precedent and something that becomes a framework for the future
1: yeah. And then you wonder, and I've always wondered a little bit, um, I asked the question when we were with Bear a while back and, and the response was normal. And that was, you know, will there come a day when the ag chemical world starts labeling products like they do the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmaceutical industry, which says, you know, side effects may include or severe side effects may include. Um, there's a laundry list of them on there. At this point, they can't put that on the label because the EPA and scientists say that glyphosate doesn't cause anything. But are we moving to that point to where we might have to be put some side effects on?
0: I don't know. I think that that is something to watch and see what happens. And I think we should be clear to the listeners of the podcast. The Prop 65 debate that happened in California this week and now says that you can't put a cancer label on Roundup. Right. The EPA says you can't put a label on Roundup that says it causes cancer. You can't because it doesn't. So but if there are other side effects that should be handled, you know, who knows? I I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised because right now I'm not surprised by pretty much anything right. when it comes to the plaintiff bar and the defense. One thing I, I wanted to mention, too, and we mentioned earlier, is that the three cases in California that bear a bear is now appealing. Those three cases are pending. And there's a reason for that. D'Odara, Bill D'Odara was very clear on this. They will continue to. Appeal those cases because they believe that their science is clear, and that I. uh, There was a comment made that they're going to take these to appeal, argue their case for the science, and potentially reduce or eliminate the awards in those three cases. They're huge awards, multi-billion dollar awards. To be honest, that's that fight's not over, and I think the industry is looking at that too, going, "Good, you're fighting that. You're not letting that go through." And then the same is happening on the Bader case on the Dicamba. and We can go to Dicamba in a moment, but they're going to continue to appeal that for the same reason. They don't feel that the case was adjudicated based on the facts presented by, at trial. And they feel that that means they will um, appeal that and maybe reduce or eliminate that award as well. We'll see. And we should dig over ding over to Dicamba because there was a little confusion about the Dicamba litigation. The Dicamba litigation is that many farmers have uh, sued because of drift and crop damage to drift, right? This has nothing to do with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals vacation of the dicamba labels for <laughs> Xtendimax, Fexapan, or um, there it goes. I lo- always lose the third one of uh, um, That That's a separate issue. so I wanted to clear that up. This is about just drift claims. And Liam Condon with Bear Crop Science was clear that in the early years the claims were high because Extendamax wasn't labeled until 2017, even though the technology, the Extend technology, was released to the market in 2015. And that the number of cl- cases and claims has declined significantly. And they want to settle these. He's, he did say that doesn't mean they won't get, you know, more cases after 2020. But the aim here is to pretty much settle uh, and let farmers make claims uh, up to 400 million dollars to resolve all the litigation. Uh, in the District Court of East, East District of Missouri for the 2015 to 2020 crop years. and um, But what came up because of the Ninth Circuit case was a question regarding the label for Dicamba for 2021. Okay. And Mr. Condon said he expects the registration to be cleared by the fall. Hmm. Part of that is he said that when the other label that was vacated was made, the EPA had a certain amount of information. And the new re-registration, the EPA has a lot more information with which they're working. And he he was quite confident that Dicamba would be re-registered for the 2021 season.
1: So on those drift claims, I know that they'll have to have some type of documentation. Did they give you any idea about what that would look like? You know, is it going to require farmers that have a damage claim on file at their state level
0: It basically just says claimants will be required to provide proof of damage to crop yields and evidence that it was due to dicamba in order to collect. And, you know, most of those guys and gals have been collecting that. So uh, because they filed these cases. (laughs) So um, but I think you're going to have to have as much documentation as possible. And that that would be something you'd want to be clear is. Did a neighbor use dicamba? Can you document that? Those types of things. And I think that that wasn't all worked out in the call yesterday uh, because pretty much every question, and I was on two calls, a global and a North American call, pretty much most of the questions were on the Roundup settlement. So we will dig into the the dicamba settlement again, I think, as we go forward in the next few days. I'm going to reach out to some, I need to reach out to BASF. You know, BASF is included in this settlement. Mm Mm-hmm. And my favorite question on the global call yesterday, and I think listeners will find this fun. A journalist asked if if uh, if Bayer had actually talked to BASF and whether they knew they were participating in the settlement <laughs> 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 and and. Uh, And Bill Dodera again responded, we have and are in contact uh, with BASF and they will contribute to the settlement. So obviously they were aware. But I just love the fact that a journalist would ask that good question about, so did you tell BASF they were in this? And so that was pretty (laughs) good from that standpoint, (laughs) as you think about it. But it's good to see some closure there. Um, This is not uncommon. This is a product performance claim. And uh, we should be clear, because sometimes people who get a podcast aren't farmers. Dicamba is not a human safety problem. It's a crop safety problem. And I think that's something we always need to be clear on. It doesn't look great. The optics aren't real good that there's a court case going through on safety. The word safety and dicamba have been used in the same sentence a lot. And I don't think that the consumer listening, if they happen to pick up this podcast, they should know that this isn't about safety in terms of environmental safety. This is crop safety. And this is an argument that this product has the potential As we know the propensity to leave the field it was sprayed on and go somewhere else and when it gets there it kills it or does a lot of damage or it can and whether how that works and all that debate that's still happening you know that the the, those debates are still happening and we've talked to weed scientists and they're working their way through (laughs) those issues as well but at least right now there's about 400 million bucks on the table to um, help some of the claimants who may have seen some losses in the last five five seasons and since it's through this season we don't think that a lot of the claims will start processing until fall because they're gonna have to get a lot of paperwork together. That's what one law law firm said in a release I got yesterday.
1: And I think uh, what consumers may not understand are other individuals. There's a lot of mixed responses that both farmers and uh, companies are getting uh, from you know these types of lawsuits and then the settlements. You know, and I think boy, there's we're still left with a lot of trust issues. Um, you know, can you trust the EPA to fully vet the products? You know, can you trust the scientists? Can you trust the label? You know, can you trust the company? And I think that's a question we know about the jury, but I think that's a question of what are we going to do moving forward? And how do we shore that up? Because every time we're going into something, it's like today, you know, we settled this week, and then we also you know, had a court say no glyphosate doesn't cause cancer. So in in one week, it's it, it's as though you know both ends of the spectrum have happened. and it's hard, I think, for farmers as well as companies. To just weed out, you know, where do you go? They want to put a safe product out there. Farmers want to use the product correctly and need to have those type of tools in their toolbox because, you know, you don't want Palmer and water to get at, you know, out there when you can't control it. So it's a hard situation where we're at, and we're stuck looking at science versus looking at public opinion versus looking at emotion. I think.
0: Yeah, but that's going to be true in any situation lately. <laughs> Thank you to social media. Um, yes, yes. But I, th- but I think, too, the the other side of this is that court vacating the EPA label is raising a lot of questions among the legal community that is agriculturally focused. Gary Bays, for example, who's our columnist at Farm Futures, is not very nice to the Ninth Circuit about their vast agricultural knowledge. And and I put that in the irony to which it is intended But I think that what's interesting is the court sided with the plaintiffs in the Ninth Circuit on the the dicamba label, but then sided with EPA on allowing them to go ahead and use the product that's in the field because the plaintiffs were mad as heck that EPA went five days afterwards and said, hey, go ahead and uh, you can use this product. If you've got it in your farm, go ahead. If you're an applicator and have it in your tanks, go ahead. If you're a dealer with no application, too bad, send it back to the manufacturer. So that's kind of the message that EPA sent. Meanwhile, the plaintiffs in the case were mad as heck. They turned around and said to the court, no, they filed a petition to the court and said, we want immediate ending of use of of dicamba in the field, period. And the court, and then many amicus briefs friends of the court briefs were filed and they said no we this is a valuable product we have it in the field we need to use it and as you noted in our conversation two weeks ago the court even acknowledged the pressure they were putting on farmers making the decision when they did and it turns out they believed that and then in their decision Friday night and I'm not kidding every one of these things comes down after six o'clock on a Friday they ruled go ahead EPA is fine. EPA's rule, interpretation of our rule is okay, go ahead and spray through uh, July 31st if you can, you know, depending on your state. And as Liam Condon said, that's essentially the end of the application season. So they felt that the court had sided with Dicamba on that issue and EPA. So that I think should give farmers some structure in that EPA is doing its job. Mm -hmm. They are not being political, although it, there's some people who make it, who try to politicize some of these things because they are going to re-register Dicamba next year. They have other data in the pack. They've got a packet they've been reviewing, so they know it's a product they're going to re-register if Bear is correct in its assertion. So knowing that, knowing what they did, I think the bigger issue is, and this is, kind of falls back on farmers, is you got to do everything you can to make sure you're applying it based on the label that EPA put out for this year. And who knows what they'll, that label will look like for 2021, but pay attention. Right nozzles, right speed, right air, no inversions, you know, the list.
1: Right. Agreed. Because after a while, if you're constantly battling lawsuits, if you're constantly in the courts and you're spending money on lawyers, those tools go away. Um, so in order to keep these tools, in order to keep this product as something that farmers can use, you're going to have to use it right and really pay attention, make notes of it, and um, go out there next season. And we said that from season after season. If you want to keep this as something that's going to be part of your weed management program, make sure you're paying attention to the labels and read and follow.
0: I think so. And these are very good products. They work really well if you follow the <laughs> labels. They, um, they're dynamite on Palmer, waterhemp. And also on even ragweed. Some of these products that these weeds that pretty much take over. I mean, nothing's more interesting to driving by a cornfield that's eight feet tall and the ragweeds taller. If <laughs> we can get rid of some of those things early with the, you know, a spray of dicamba um that's good uh so that's great but yeah it's a lot of a lot of um confusion and uh i'm hoping that this settlement will solve some of that farmers know glyphosate's a good product it's in a lot of things we use now um and should move forward many of our crops benefit by having glyphosate it still kills a lot of weeds and it does it really really well i use it on my yard carefully at a distance no i'm kidding um (laughs) I use it I on my yard because carefully. I like it. Yes. Yes, because I, I have use weeds it
1: carefully. <laughs> yes. And I got in trouble by my husband by burning the whole entire yard. So <laughs> that is not an acceptable use.
0: <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's probably, probably something were revoked. <laughs> as all we tell everyone please read and follow label directions. And that's still important. And that's important for anybody using any product these days. And I think that's important to remember that EPA spends a lot of time on those labels. Crop protection companies, it is now 12 years and nearly $300 million to bring a product from lab to jug. And um, these lawsuits don't help. And, and I think that farmers need to know that we have some new modes of action. Bayer has a new mode of action coming to market. FMC's got one coming to market in the mid-20s, 2025, I think. Um, we're going to see some new ways to kill grassy weeds and take care of other weeds. And I think that's very exciting. Um, so we want these products to per- succeed and we want them to be safe when they come to the market. And we want to follow the rules when we get them. As usual, Mindy, it's always great to talk to you. Stay safe and stay distant. And uh, we'll see you soon.
1: All right. See you
0: soon. Making sense of legal and regulatory moves is not easy. And as you just heard, we'll be digging into some of these issues in more detail in the coming weeks. And thanks to Mindy Ward for turning the tables to ask me questions to help dig into these issues. Around Farm Progress is our newest podcast looking at agriculture with the help of our national editorial team. But we have other podcasts you'll want to check out. The best way to find them is to visit farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. Again, farmprogress.com forward slash farm hyphen progress hyphen podcasts. They're worth checking out. And we continue our in-depth coverage of all things regarding COVID-19 at farmprogress.com forward slash coronavirus. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines, as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs. And of course, the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Ode, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.